Good morning, church. Turn with me, if you would, into Luke chapter 5. Into Luke chapter 5. If you're visiting with us this morning, it is an honor to be with you. If you're a regular attender, welcome back. To those of you watching online, thank you so much for tuning in with us. I'm continuing a sermon series today in which we have covered the mission and the vision of WFR Church. And I'm going to get privileged to speak with you about how to connect at WFR. And importantly, we're going to be really working towards doing some awesome stuff in January. And I hope with this series has been to kind of lay out just some of where our church is moving and headed. And we want you to be thinking about and praying about the vision of this church and the mission of this church and how you can get connected here to fulfill the mission and vision of this church. We got a story from Luke chapter 5 about a man in need of connection. So I'm going to go to Luke chapter 5 right now in verse 17. The Bible says this from Luke chapter 5. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, And go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. First thing I want to talk to you about this morning is the crowd. The crowd of people that surrounded our Lord Jesus Christ as he starts teaching. And the reality is, it is easy to get lost in a crowd. Is it not? It's easy to get lost in a crowd. My kids, we've got three kids under the age of seven, and I have a book in my office called Where's Waldo? Let me see a show of hands. How many of you out there know the book Where's Waldo? Okay, that's most of you. God bless you all. Waldo has made a career out of getting lost in a crowd. This guy's made himself rich by getting lost in a crowd. And there's sometimes when being lost in a crowd is kind of useful. You know, you can really go unnoticed easily in a crowd. So when I'd walk into a college classroom and see the size of the class is like 100 people, I'm thinking to myself, oh yeah, nobody's ever calling on me to answer a question. So you can, go, you, can, you can go unnoticed in a crowd. It's easy to get lost in a crowd. But you can also feel overwhelmed in a crowd. 
when the Kansas City Royals won the World Series this year and they went on their parade through downtown Kansas City, 800,000 people from the Kansas City area congregated in downtown Kansas City to celebrate the Royals winning a World Series. Reports of that specific incident recorded that people actually were stranded there for up to 10 hours at a time, waiting for the crowds to clear out enough so they could move their vehicles out of the downtown area and actually get back home. The crowd in this particular story serves as the barrier for the paralyzed man and is the thing that would have otherwise prevented the paralyzed man from reaching the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the paralyzed man to break through the crowd, for the crowd not to be a barrier, this man had to depend on the people he was connected with to help him do the things that he otherwise could not do. That's the point of this sermon today, is that we, like the paralyzed man, need to make connections that will facilitate us getting past the barriers and crowds in our life and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be crowded out. If you're in a big enough crowd or, or the crowd is large enough in front of you, it is easy to be crowded out. I want to talk specifically about the two groups of people represented in this crowd. The first one identified in Luke's gospel are the Pharisees and scribes. These would be the experts on the law. These would be the experts on Judaism. These would have been people who were highly, highly religious. And they're worth mentioning here for two reasons. The first reason is that these people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, were very well connected. They were very, very well connected, but despite their good connections... And despite the fact that they were sitting at Jesus' feet, their hearts could not have been farther from Jesus. And so the reality is that it doesn't necessarily mean that if we're connected well in the people that share our same religion, that we're also well connected to Jesus Christ. Simply because we're connected well to other people of our same religion does not imply we're connected to Jesus Christ. The Pharisees practiced a type of religion that elevated self. It elevated self. So their connections with people of their same religion were specifically geared towards the elevation of themselves. They were willing to connect with you as long as there would have been something in it for them. This was a populist form of religious practice. And it's easy to fall into some of those same mindsets in any religion, especially in Christianity. It gets easy to want to connect with people or know people or sit by people or live by people or attend Bible studies with people that elevate my status. You know, I attended so-and-so's Bible study. I mean, I sit by so-and-so or I parked right by this guy. You should have seen me when I greeted this person. It's not necessarily to connect better to Jesus Christ. It's to elevate myself. So your connections don't necessarily imply a connection with Jesus. You've got to be the person to make that assessment. The second piece about that is these people, the Pharisees and the scribes, also resisted anything new. They resisted anything new. Jesus was preaching and teaching of a way to God that was equal for all. It was equal for all. 
And that would have usurped the function of the religion of the Pharisees and the scribes. The function of their religion was to elevate them to a position of status where they could be closer to God than anyone else. And unless you talked like they talked and ate what they ate and practiced the festivals that they practiced and observed the holidays that they practiced, you weren't quite as good as they were. And so they were very much resistant to new things. So even though they were well connected, and even though they knew a lot about what there was to know in their specific religion, these people were as off the pathway that leads to Jesus Christ as a person could be. There's another group that's implied, they're not directly mentioned, uh, uh, in this general crowd, the Pharisees and scribes are directly mentioned. The other group that is not directly mentioned are the general lay people that are in attendance listening to Jesus. These are people like you and me who show up and could be swayed either way. They could become devoted followers of Jesus Christ or they could be proselytized by the Pharisees and Jews and end up being converted kind of to a Judaism-like mentality. So if you flip your Bibles to Luke 23... We're going to see kind of the outcome of this particular group, the lay people who are there that are curious about Jesus that really could go either way. They're looking for answers. They're looking for a Savior. They're looking for something, and they could go either way. So Jesus is taken in front of Pilate. Pilate asks the crowd, which is made up of Pharisees, scribes, and lay people, the same kind of crowd that is made up of the people that are listening to Jesus in Luke chapter 5. Pilate's like, look, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to give you an option. He tells this to the crowd. I can either release a murderous criminal named Barabbas, or I can release Jesus. And in Luke 23, 18, the Bible says this, quote, They shouted, away with this man, meaning Jesus, release Barabbas to us. So these lay people that are in attendance, that are listening to Jesus in Luke chapter 5, by Luke 23, some of those people are demanding that Jesus be put to death. Some of them probably were converted, but some of them are demanding Jesus be put to death. Here's the, here's the point. Those people were disconnected. They were disconnected, so they were easy targets for bad thinking and bad behaving. They were easy targets for bad thinking and bad behaving. Because those people weren't plugged in, because they didn't have connections that connected them to Jesus Christ, by the, nearing the end of the story, these people are the same people that have the bad behavior and the bad thoughts that end up crucifying our Lord Jesus Christ. And in your life, your disconnect makes you more vulnerable to the influence of people whose bad behavior and bad thinking can lead you away from the Lord Jesus Thank God for the subject of our story that the paralyzed man, thank God that the paralyzed man had connections that got him closer to Jesus. The paralyzed man had connections that got him closer to Jesus. This is uh, our goal at WFR, is to connect people to people and people to Jesus. So I want you to say, connect people to people with me. Are you ready? Here we go. We want to connect people to people. Let's do that again. We want to connect people to people. But we don't just want to stop there. We want to connect people to Jesus. So say that with me. People to Jesus. Let's do that one more time. People to Jesus. If we can really connect people to people, and if we'll all really love Jesus, then as we're connecting people to people, those people will be better connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, just like we see here in Luke chapter 5. 
But what is it about these specific friends that sets them apart? Why is this story so incredible? The first piece is the compassion of the friends. That's the first piece is the compassion of the friends. What does a compassionate person do? There are two things that I think a compassionate person does. The first is a compassionate person has eyes that can see needs other than their own. The compassionate person has eyes that can see needs other than their own. These guys, these individuals, were compassionate to the point of being able to see the need of their friend who was paralyzed. But it's not enough to just simply see the need. The second piece that identifies a compassionate person is, I don't just simply see the need, I am moved to action based on the need. So that's the second point. Compassionate people not only see the need, compassionate people are moved to the point of action. Let me tell you a story from my life. There's usually a guy who is sitting on a street corner near my house that is panhandling for money. So sometimes I see the need and I'm moved with compassion to take action and I give the guy a dollar or a five or some change. Sometimes I don't. But one day I was driving home from church, as it turns out, and this guy was on the street corner, and there was another man that was laying hands on this guy, praying over him. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell onto me in that moment in my car. And I thought to myself, that's the kind of compassion I should have showed this guy. And then I had to reassess the compassion that I was really showing him. And what I decided is that my simple gift of a buck or a five or 50 cents was really not about this guy at all. It was more about me. I was willing to give this guy some change or a a, a dollar or something like that. Not necessarily because I was thinking it would better his life, but when I get home and rest my head on my pillow at night, I wouldn't have had to deal with the conviction of not doing anything. But to really address the man's need to really fellowship with him, connect with him, and have the kind of compassion on him that makes the difference was beyond my capacity in that moment. But not for the friends of the paralyzed man in Luke chapter 5. Their compassion moved them to do something to really address the needs in this man's life. But not only were these compassionate friends, these friends were committed. They were committed friends. You know, we don't have all the information we would need in this story of Scripture to accurately uh, decipher the, the lives of each of these guys. But it makes you wonder what they had to sacrifice to really see this thing through. In, in other words, we don't know whether or not these guys had any families. So we don't know whether or not their sacrifice of time to, to carry this guy to the feet of Jesus would have taken them away from their families. We also don't know if it was opening day of deer season or duck season. We don't know if these guys were avid hunters and whether or not the the carrying of their friend to the feet of Jesus required them to miss doing an activity that would have otherwise been really fulfilling. Was a big game on? Were they going to have family over? Was it somebody's birthday? We don't know, but what we do know is that these guys in the moment of need were willing to stay committed to the point of sacrificing some time to meet the need of their friend. The other piece of that, I think, is to sacrifice a little bit of effort. Not, not simply time, but also a little bit of effort. Now, if, if we were going to make this kind of a modern-day deal, what this would be like is like I call uh, Mike Kellett and Josh Hudnall and Jeremy Shackelford 
and Alan Robertson and say, guys, look, I have, I have uh, fallen in the WFR parking lot and I cannot get up. And so I know what you guys are thinking, Trent, as muscular as you are and as weak as those guys are, they're probably not going to be able to carry you very far. But imagine if they were as physically fit as I was, which I know is a stretch of the imagination, but let's just say you could really stretch your imagination to get to that point. It would require a lot of effort. Think if they had to carry me to St. Francis or, or Glenwood. Even that, even that mile or two distance, those four guys carrying me would have cost a lot of sweat equity. And most of us are unwilling to make those first two sacrifices. We're not really wanting to put in the time, and we're not really wanting to put in the effort. That was really the issue with me, with that guy on the street corner that was panhandling for money. It was way quicker and easier and required much less effort for me to hand a dollar bill than it did to park my car, to get out, to spend some time getting to know this guy's name, and familiarize myself with the needs in his life, and put a little effort into really trying to minister to this guy. And I think that's the form of most of our levels of commitment. As long as it doesn't require much time or effort, I'm, I'm good. But the second you start asking me to miss some ball games, or some practices, or some hunting trips, or a soap opera, or my knitting class, or a book club, I'm, I'm, I'm taken aback by that. And the enemy wants you to be too busy to really get invested in the lives of others. Thank God that this paralyzed man had friends who were ready to sacrifice whatever was necessary. And you know, the other thing I wonder is how, how worried these guys were about being embarrassed. I do a lot of public speaking, and so this is kind of like a phobia of mine, is to have something happen that's unplanned, like I'm walking up to the stage and I trip and fall. You know, or I'm in the middle of a sermon and I slip and say a word that like totally takes everything out of context and distracts us all. That humiliation and embarrassment would be something that at least I would be thinking about. So think about these guys. Surely one of these guys has to be thinking, what if on our way up the roof we drop the guy? You know what I'm saying? Like surely that crossed the mind of one of these guys. Surely these guys were astute enough to think, man, if we start pulling tiles off this roof, it might destabilize. And what if we all go in this hole and every one of us ends up at the feet of Jesus? Certainly they had to consider those kinds of things. But their convictions were so strong that they were willing to stop at nothing to finish this journey. And that's no doubt what prompted Jesus in Luke chapter 5 and verse 20 to say this. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Why does he say that? Whose faith does he see? Whose conviction does he hone in on in that moment? It's not the man's conviction. It's not the man's faith. The Bible says this, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The collective effort of a group of people set to one end, willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to see this thing through to the finish line, Jesus was moved by that. And He's still moved by that today. He, he doesn't change. That's the same Jesus that healed that paralyzed guy that you're praying to at night, that you're asking to transform your situation, that's still going to be moved when you are connected to people that are trying to connect to Him that moves God's heart. That's why we want you to get connected here at WFR. We're so 
motivated for you to connect. We brought a guy on staff, Jeremy Shackelford, who is really working hard at, at opening doors here at WFR so that you can get connected. A lot of you know him. Some of you don't. At this time, Jeremy, I want you to come up and just say a couple of words about the connection ministry here at WFR. Picking Trent up. I mean, come on. I got shoes bigger than him. I mean, come on. Really? (laughs) Let me start this out reading a couple of passages. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those being saved. Then over in chapter, I mean in Acts chapter 4, it says, And all of the believers were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them and brought money from the sales and put at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone who had need. That was a couple of thousand years ago. And I want to think, what would that look like now here in northeast Louisiana? If we started having that same mind and that same, uh, just the same conviction that was 2,000 years ago. I think about one of the things that might happen is our homes may open up in hospitality to where instead of having eight house churches, we have 30 house churches in northeast Louisiana where people are able to grow together. I'm thinking that we might have, instead of just having 1,500 in worship, we might have 1,500 in Bible class that are eager to grow and to learn. Or maybe it may be a situation where Somebody doesn't have to get up here on a regular basis and beg for Bible teachers. we got more than we need. We're having to tell people, we've got plenty of Bible teachers. We're okay right now. What I do know is this. If we have that mindset, then what I see is every member of this body have a 15, 20, 25-member group that they're with on a regular basis that they're communing with, that they are intimate with, that they share together their hurts and their sorrows and their things. Because, we, like I said, we don't want you to fall through the cracks. And you have to have close people around you to keep that from happening. I see every member finding a ministry here to serve in, to be a part of. It says, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, filled with all. They were totally involved, totally connected, totally convicted at that point in time. You may have noticed out in the foyer we've got a few new tables out there. Those are not decorations. That's where we're going to go to work. Starting the first weekend in December, 
every Sunday morning, those tables are going to be manned by every one of our ministry leaders every Sunday morning. We're going to have an elder out there every Sunday morning. We're going to have other people that are just good communicators. We're going to have representatives from our house church out there every Sunday morning to help you find a place to get involved, to be plugged in. They're going to be able to give information, tell you what, where, what they do, what they're involved in. You'll be able to, during meet and greet, if you see a visitor, you can take them out there and show them the tables, and they can then find out more information about what we're doing here. But it's a way that we're trying to get you a little bit more plugged in to what we're doing here. We're going to be making phone calls to you, saying, I need you to do this, or I need you to do that, or can, can you help in this ministry? And I'm probably going to get some responses like, well, you know, you probably don't understand just how busy my life is. Or, well, I really need to spend some time getting my own cup filled up first. Or maybe that's not even my particular gift. And I understand all of these. I really do. And the connection team wants to help you find your gift, find your place to serve and to be involved here. But let me remind you of this. If you're sitting in this audience this morning and you're a baptized believer of Jesus Christ, then right now you are a child of the creator of the universe. You've been bought with that precious blood of Jesus Christ. You have a promise that the grave will not keep you in the ground and that you will have eternal life. And even right this morning, you have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. So the question is really, what do you do with that? What do you do now? And those of us on the connection team want to help you with that question. Yeah, go ahead and give a clap, round of applause. Thank you so much for that, Jeremy. So we, we really see that in the New Testament church, people are connected. We see that in the Gospels, people's connection actually help others experience the healing and transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ that is needed. So we're wanting to do everything we can at our church to afford you those same opportunities. Let's get back to our text from Luke chapter 5 and let's look now at the Christ. We've talked about the crowd. We've talked about connections. Now we want to talk a little bit about Jesus. Uh, I've got some scripture up there on the screen for you. The the text starts at Luke uh, uh, 22, but I want to start at Luke 21 and give you a little bit of context here. After Jesus calls this man friend and tells him his sins are forgiven, in verse 21, the Pharisees and teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then in verse 22, we pick up, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. First we see in this passage the pardon of Jesus. And this is ultimately why we do everything that we do. Because sinners need a Savior. Can I get an amen on that? The gospel is the best news you could ever receive. 
that you were dead in trespasses and sins, and now at no cost you could be given life, eternal and engrafted into the Son of the living, into sonship or, or into the family of the living God, that literally transforms lives. Some of you know that story personally because your life changed as a result of someone's effort to connect you to Jesus. And what we see in this story is what we see in every story that involves Jesus when he connects to someone in need. His first instinct is to immediately meet the need. Jesus' first instinct is to forgive. His first instinct is to heal. So many times when someone has wronged us, our first instinct is not that. It's to bring up lists of past grievances or turn into counselors and start to make recommendations on how they could live their lives from here on out. Or start to ask 20 or 30 more questions on why they're really sorry for what they're saying they're sorry about. But not with our Jesus. He sees the faith of these friends and immediately he forgives this man's sin and heals this man. That's the pardon of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do here at WFR. The other piece of this story here is the precision of Jesus. There are those in the crowd that are not moved. Somehow they're not moved at the display of love and pardon of our Lord. And instead they're asking themselves, who is this guy? Who who does he think he is? And Jesus, in his precision, already knows what they're thinking. So he asks them a question really, really pointed and really difficult. I think this is one of the most difficult questions Jesus asks in Scripture. He says, why? Why are you thinking that? Everything you're looking for is right here under your nose. Why are you letting your mind even go there when all you've got to do is receive the truth that is right in front of you? And it gets so easy in churches to get cynical. It gets so easy to get cynical. Oh, the sermon went a little long today. Man, trench humor really was bad. Those never, that never happens with me, but I'm just saying, like, those would be hyperboles of what potentially could happen. Or, man, we're changing this, or wait, we're doing that. And instead of seeing what is right in front of our faces, what is right under our noses, the transforming power of Jesus, we're cynical and sitting back thinking, who does this person think he is? And Jesus is going, how could you? Why? Everything you're looking for is right here for the taking. And that's the power of our Lord. That is the power of Jesus. For those who really seek, they're going to find If they're really knocking, the door's going to be open. What you're looking for, if you're looking for it in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to get. He is a faithful God. He's with you to the ends of the earth. He'll never ever leave you or forsake you. And the things that are impossible for man, to heal a paralytic, to free an addiction, to restore a marriage, to forgive sin with God are possible. That's why we want you to get connected to each other so you can get more connected to Jesus who can take the impossibilities in your life and turn them into possibilities. There's nothing too difficult for our God. Some of you are facing those kinds of barriers right now in your life. For some of you, the situation you're in just seems impossible. I got really good news. 
The same Jesus that nothing was impossible for in our New Testament is the same Jesus available for you right here today. So what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And why are you thinking it? My hope is you'll challenge yourself. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. My hope is that you will challenge yourself to be willing to connect. Get out of your comfort zone, past your grown zone, into your growth zone. Get up and come down to the front and let us connect with you and let us love on you as we all grow closer to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this church. It's just words cannot express how much I, I love this place that you've put me here. And the people are what makes this place so special. We love each other here. And we really love you here. And the reason we can love each other and love you, all of us broken, bruised, and battered people, is because the love that you have shown each of us through Jesus. We thank you for him. We thank you for the spirit that you have left us that gives us strength and comfort in times of struggle. All those who are in the middle of a difficult struggle right now, I ask that you would empower them to come forward and get involved in this community and to really connect and then connect more deeply to you. As I conclude this service with this prayer and as we sing, please minister to each of those needs. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.